Welcome back to Box to Box. It's Reza and Alex. Hi, Alex. Hello. How are you? Good. This Memorial Day weekend? Yeah, it is Memorial Day weekend. Not yet. Almost. Yeah. Anyhow, we have another guest. We have a guest. He is the subject of the documentary Messi and Me, the story of a former college soccer player's unexpected invite to a charity match and how one goal gave him a second chance to fulfill a dream and become a professional soccer player, Matt Eliason. Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, I want to jump right into it because uh, I watched your documentary a while back and then sort of I watched it again this week, uh, this week knowing you'd be on. And it's sort of, I watched it with a different perspective sort of knowing you'd be here. So I guess... Let's start from the beginning, and I guess the beginning in this sense is more uh, sort of finishing off uh, at Northwestern and sort of looking into sort of whether it be MLS or sort of a professional uh, career. At what point in your life did you realize that you wanted to become a professional soccer player? I guess we can start with that. Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, so my uh, parents signed me up for the uh, the local park district league in uh, Lombard, Illinois, the, uh, the suburb of Chicago where I grew up. Um, had always been a huge basketball fan, but never had really experienced uh, any type of soccer interaction. And uh, once I signed up, I immediately got hooked on the game, probably age five or six. And um, then all the way through my teenage years, I, I couldn't get enough of it, was playing in a bunch of leagues locally slowly uh, got connected with the, the local team, um, grew up playing there, playing travel soccer around the Chicagoland area, and then eventually got to the point where I started playing for a club called Chicago Wind, which was, was based on the North Shore. And uh, that's where I, I really tried to take my game to the next level and ultimately with the goal of trying to play Division One soccer. And I guess, was it at Northwestern where you sort of realized that, you know, I'm maybe a little bit better than the, the than the people around me? Or at what point did you kind of, at what point did it go from a hobby that you took really seriously to sort of, I think I can maybe do something with this? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the goal was always just to play in college. And then um, after my sophomore year, I had a bit of success at Northwestern, um, led the team in goals, was pretty close to leading the Big Ten in goals. And that's, I would say my sophomore year was when, you know, I actually thought I might have a, a chance to, to play professional just because the Big Ten is such a, a tough league to play in. And um, it was at that point where, you know, I always had taken soccer seriously, but mainly with the goal just to play in college. And at that point, I was thinking, hey, maybe I can actually do this at the next level if I continue to score goals. Right. And I guess... What was the process like? I guess, was it in your senior year when sort of uh, you were invited to the combine, or was that earlier? Yeah, so it was my senior year. Um, we didn't make the the NCAA tournament my senior year, so our season ended a little prematurely. And at that point, I still didn't know if I would would get invited. Uh, but fortunately, it was sometime in winter um, after our our Northwestern season had come to a close, where I got the call and was like, oh, wow, this, uh, this is actually a reality now. And all my attention turned to, to trying to do well at the Combine. And I guess, because I know I have a couple of friends that have either gone to the Combine or um, have played in the league a bit. What, and I've never actually asked them, but what's the process like? Like, what, who calls you or what do they say? And, I mean, just sort of like, what's that process like of getting invited to the Combine? Yeah, I got called from some representative from the MLS, and they kind of just said, you've been selected to go, and then you've got about two weeks to prepare. And then, yeah, like similar to like the NFL Combine, they have a lot of tests at the beginning where they're just, you know, testing your vertical and, you know, how fast you're on the 40 and all that stuff. But, you know, unlike football, like where they don't play like a, an actual game, um, we, we were all assigned on to four different teams and then we just kind of played a round robin tournament right. so all the MLS coaches could could see you actually playing in, in an exhibition against some of the other good players that were invited. All right. So I guess m- sort of moving along chronologically, I guess um and I saw this in the documentary. So you ultimately were not selected at the draft and where were you sort of 
in your head at that point? Like, were you disappointed? Were you sort of a little frustrated or were you kind of okay with it and sort of decided to move on? Yeah, I mean, I was I was frustrated because I thought I deserved at least a chance. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you're, you're also trying to balance like, okay, I just, just graduated uh, from Northwestern. I should probably start thinking about a way to make money if the soccer thing isn't going to work out. Uh, no no income at the moment. Right. Um, but I, I still wanted to try and make, make soccer work the best I could. And so kind of how, how I was planning was I was still doing job interviews for, for going into the uh, the real world, but also still training as much as I could. There, there's like a local training spot in Chicago where a lot of the uh, a lot of the pros would train and you could kind of get pickup games. So I was still playing. It's pretty good competition, but uh, I guess I was trying to do both at the same time and seeing if I could still get that opportunity to play, um, play soccer as well. And uh, Matt, I was wondering uh... – like when you, when you were in, uh, when you were still at Northwestern, and if it crossed your mind, uh, thinking, uh, let's say, like I don't get, uh, selected into the MLS, did you still want to be a part of the sport? Not not playing in it, but like, I don't know, trying to maybe be like, uh, a writer for like uh, ESPN or something, or like trying to be like an analyst. Do you ever want to do something like that? Um, I, I thought about coaching for a little bit, um, but at the same time, I, I kind of uh, was still intense on playing and didn't want to kind of shift my mindset there yet. Um, I had done some youth coaching, and I guess it had been in the back of my mind, like, hey, maybe I could get into coaching. If this doesn't work out, maybe I could be a grad assistant at a college and try and work my way up to head coach. Um, but at the same time, I also had other interests um, you know, graduating with a, a degree in business and, and there were some opportunities there. And also just realistically, I mean, you're going to get paid more to try and go into finance and do something rather than be a grad assistant where, you know, you're making next to nothing. So that's kind of weighing all my options. I wanted to stay in soccer, whether that was playing, but also, you know, wanted to see if there were any other opportunities out there, maybe in the, in the business world. And that's interesting because Right now, I, I currently go to a, a D1 college, and I, I'm, I've, I've been in classes, and, I've, and I know a couple of people that you know, play for the soccer team or any other Division I sport, and obviously North, Northwestern is a, uh, is a D1 school. I, I was wondering, how, how is the balance of you know, being on the team and being a starter, being the striker for the team, and balancing that with... Uh, trying to get your degree well you eventually did get your degree uh, uh in business yeah i mean it's it's tough especially if you know you start I, I was always very focused on on my studies and kind of that was the first pass i never really thought of soccer as you know a way to make a living um it kind of just you know naturally grew into that but yeah it's tough balancing everything but it, it's I think it's really served me well later in life, just time management, because once, once you get to the point where, you know, you're working, um, you know, in the real world, you've got a lot of different things you have to balance. And I think trying to, to do that with sports in college, along with all your studies was probably the best practice I could have mm -hmm. in, in trying to prepare myself because I mean, you just can't be inefficient. And, you know, if right. you're, you got to take soccer seriously. You, you can never miss practice. You can never miss any of the team activities. But at the same time, I mean, you're competing with other students who have more time to, to study, but, you know, you're not graded on a different curve. So I would say, yeah, yeah, it definitely takes balancing, but it's, it's definitely possible to, to be good at two things. Maybe, maybe not uh, too much else, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it serves, serves well later in life. And I guess you were saying about sort of staying in it um, even after the draft. Were there any sort of, I know sometimes players will go to trials or they'll still go to a preseason camp, um, even if they're not selected. Was there anything like that after the uh, com after the draft or was it sort of just leave soccer behind and sort of get into the suit for uh, for the real world? Yeah, so I was invited into Sporting Kansas City's um, preseason. 
which I had planned on doing. So I kind of found that out about a week after I hadn't been drafted. They were probably, you know, looking what options, you know, similar to like hard knocks in the NFL. They got to fill out a certain number of spots and, you know, probably the people invited into training camp aren't as likely to make the team, but, you know, they need a full squad for preseason. So I was pretty happy I got invited into to sporting Kansas City because that's a, a great organization and thought, oh, if I can just get a chance. But unfortunately, I, I continued to train and I broke my foot about a week before I was going. So I had other tough injury luck. And so I would say that was later in the year, spring, um, before before MLS preseason was starting. And I don't know, I kind of took that as a sign where uh, maybe the soccer thing's not going to work out. I mean, I, I was really excited for that. And I just knew my foot wasn't going to heal for six months and I needed to find a job. And I guess that was sort of the, the straw that broke the camel's back as far as, you know, is soccer going to be a, a chance? Like, do I have a chance to make it or, or should I just focus all my attention on getting a job? Right. And I guess, um, so how much of a gap was there between this and sort of going into sort of the next uh, obvious topic, which is sort of that the charity match? Was there, I think it was a, was it a couple of years or, or it was, was it, was there a, a long period of time or not, or not really? It was about a year, a little over a year. So I think it happened the following July and I had stopped playing in the previous April. So I would say like a year and three or four months. So yeah, definitely enough time to get totally out of shape yeah <laughs> um but uh you know i continued to play i still like playing once my foot healed up i kind of played for fun um but then uh, i actually decided to run uh a ha- i think i was running a half marathon with right. some of my coworkers, and so that uh little did i know that would actually uh be very important because you know i got this call to play in the game with messy about you know, a week ahead of time where there's there's really no chance of just getting in shape that quickly. But since I had been training for the marathon and still playing soccer semi-frequently, um, I found myself in, in decent enough shape to uh, <laughs> be able to play a full 90 minutes. It's funny how that stuff kind of works out. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very fortunate. And I was also fortunate, you know, it wasn't, you know, two or three years after I stopped playing. Right. But, you know, the first touch, uh, is the first thing that goes in my opinion and luckily I, I hadn't been out of the game too long where I, I could still you know I still felt pretty sharp and I, I wasn't uh, too washed up yet at that point right so what was your initial reaction I I know I don't know if it was actually the um I was looking at the credits in the movie and they were seeing like all the text exchanges I don't know if those were actual texts but maybe in your head, what was sort of, and I know you kind of explained this, but uh, what was your initial reaction to this is sort of that text from your coach? Yeah, and so, yeah, those actually were real texts that my coach kind of captured, um, you know, him telling everyone about the game. And, yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of like a, a joke where it, it wasn't like really what he was describing. Because uh, my coach had kind of said, hey, do you want to play with Messi? And, you know, out of context, I was literally at my job um, in my cubicle. And I got that text. And I was like, what is he talking about? And in my head, I kind of rounded down to the point where I was like, oh, what are we going to meet him at practice? I don't know what this actually means because I knew Messi was coming to Chicago, but I had figured he was training at Northwestern or something or like we'd get to like, go meet him and get his autograph, but uh, didn't realize I would actually be playing in the, the charity game itself with him. Was it in that exchange that you kind of realized that was it a couple, like, was it with, was it, it was, was it within the, uh, the text exchanges that you realized that it was actually happening or was it more down the line in the, in the couple hours or days or. Yeah, it was a couple hours later where he legit showed us that uh, some of the stars that Messi had planned on uh, bringing to the game weren't able to make it. And so then we're like, oh, they actually like need to fill out a roster. And uh, again, I kind of rounded down where I was like, oh, that's so cool. I was, you know, maybe even going to go to the game and just, you know, buy a ticket. But now I'll get to watch from the from the bench because, you know, they're not going to let us like on the field. They just need to fill out a roster. Right. Did you um, ac- and did you actually buy a ticket before or no? Or you were going to? 
I did not, but I know some other uh, of the Northwestern players had already bought a ticket, which was kind of funny. <laughs> um, and then they, they ended up actually playing in the game. And uh, my favorite one, so at the time I was, I was still living uh, with one of my roommates, um, uh, was a Northwestern soccer player, Cody Stanley. And uh, he, he was kind of one of the last players to get the call. And he was almost like drinking beer, actually. He was like about to go to a tailgate for the game because I had told him <laughs> I was going to be in it. And he literally got a text and luckily hadn't started, you know, drinking or anything yet. And then got um, got to go in and actually played in the game. <laughs> so awesome. we're saying he's the first person in history to like plan on tailgating an event at Soldier Field and then <laughs> actually play in the game. That's awesome. So pretty ridiculous. So, so I guess what was the, um, so fast forward a couple of days, I guess, to either the day of, or maybe even the day before, was there any sort of, uh, process around being a part of that? Where did you have to meet anyone from the, from like the event organization or did you, what was the process like, I guess the day before, before we get to the day of? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, there really wasn't much organization at all. It was just kind of like, they're like, show up at this hotel you know, in the morning, the game was like sometime in the afternoon, they're like, show up at this hotel in the morning, um, and all the players will be there, and then you'll get on a bus and go with them to the stadium, so we were just like, oh, sweet, we get to go on a bus, yeah. you know, with all these stars, and uh, yeah, we showed up, and um, I remember seeing, like, Alex Song, who on, at the time was on Barcelona, um, which was pretty crazy, and I, he was just hanging out there, and some people recognized him, but we just sat with him for a bit. And then the Brazilian legend Zico was there, and he was Carlos Bocanegra, um, you know, from the U.S. men's national team was there. And so we're just like casually meeting some of these guys, and like almost like we're we're kids asking for their autograph. <laughs> but then um, then a bunch of fans came, and some of the the really big stars like Henri got there, um, a few of the other like Maluda, some of the the big French team right. stars. And then there was like a mass hysteria where there were like fans waiting in the at the hotel lobby, and then we got on the bus, and there were people waiting around around the bus, and we just like got on the bus, and we're like seeing all these stars just sitting there, and we're just like, uh, I guess we'll just sit down here, and all us Northwestern players kind of just sat together, and we're just like looking around, like how did we manage to get ourselves onto this bus? <laughs> you, uh, so it's pretty sweet. Did you guys all like huddle in the back of the bus, just trying to stay to yourselves? Yeah. Yeah, we were like the the freshmen coming in, like on the first day of high school or something. We were just like, all right, let's try not to aggravate anyone, and can't believe we got this lucky to uh, to get on here. And then, yeah, we took the bus over to Soldier Field. It was pretty close, and on the way there, there were like lines of fans, like lining the the route where the bus was going all the way up to to Soldier Field, where I saw probably like thousand people waiting outside um, for Messi uh, to get there. So. It was pretty surreal even before the game game even started. Was he on the bus? Was everyone on the bus? Everyone was on the bus except him. So I don't know uh, where. I think he got a special special ride there or something. But uh, so yeah, so then, was yeah. was uh uh the team the players on both teams were on one bus or was it like separately like like one team was on one bus and one team was on another one? I think there were two different buses. I'm losing my memory, but. Uh, Definitely all the players weren't on the bus that we were at, so maybe some other people got rides there. But I distinctly remember, like, Henri, all the French guys who spoke French um, were were there speaking French to each other. And so it was, like, Luda, Henri, um, Alex Song were all on our bus. And then I think uh, a lot of the – there were a lot of Uruguayans that were playing. There were three or four. Like, yeah, Diego, yeah, Bodine we did And see a few that. other ones. So maybe they had a Spanish bus and a French bus. I don't, I'm not sure what was going on there. <laughs> and then a, nor- a but, Northwestern uh, bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just uh, we got the extra spots. <laughs> That's awesome. I guess um, so. Sort of fast forwarding along, were there any sort of? I mean, I can imagine. I mean, I've personally I've been part of that sort of hotel meetup and pre game sort of uh lineup for the bus i know what it's like and i'm sure you've sort of done the same or have been in that situation as a fan so i guess like what and i can imagine again but what's really going on in your head and i guess all of you guys sort of just 
whether it's on the on the bus, going there, getting out, seeing all these pic- all these people probably losing their minds over some of these players, but are you just trying to soak it in and trying to just take every moment in and try not to forget? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it was definitely trying to soak the moment in, but then the closer you got to game time, you're like, oh, we're actually going to play because right. they don't have enough people. And then it kind of turns to a little bit of anxiety and fear, and it's, it's, we know the game's on ESPN, so then the jokes kind of start coming like, oh, who's going to do like a you know top play or who's going to be on Sports Center not top 10 or right. something like that. Um, and then we had some people come in from the event and they, they kind of made it very clear where they're like, no, do not injure any of these pros. I think they were a little paranoid about just, you know, a bunch of amateurs playing in this game because they were worried we would either injure them or they're worried that we would kind of make the game, you know, not as skillful. And they were kind of just instructing us like play very simple and just pass it to the pros. That was kind of the, uh, the instruction interesting. To us before the game. That's yeah. interesting. So I guess the moment, uh, and I mean, I I, rem- I remember literally watching this like a year or so ago when it first came out and just out of interest, but, and obviously on YouTube as well. So I, I, I think we all remember sort of uh, what it looked like, but, and again, you explained this, but just to hear it again from you on the show, Henri's on the left, uh, or your right, and chips in a ball, and it was chested Perfectly. Perfectly, and I guess, and you you said I think you said you blacked out at that point, and I I know that feeling, but just kind of walk me through that one more time, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, it it had been it was like earlier in the game, and you know, players weren't playing quite as hard as a normal game, so I kind of realized like, yeah, I might actually have a chance of scoring. And when he crossed the ball in, man, initially I was going to try and head it, but I was a little bit behind me. And it kind of just set up perfectly to, to pop it up on my chest. And then, yeah, then from there, I kind of muscle memory took over. And, you know, I made a pretty good connection with it. But then I really did kind of just black out. And I was like, what happened? And then you you hear the the crowd roar. And you're like, oh, my God, I think uh, think that must have gone in. And I looked back and it had. So it was a pretty, pretty surreal feeling. And then you have all these people like Henri and Baluda jumping on you to celebrate. Um, you know, I grew up watching both of those guys, and so I uh, it was almost an out of body experience. And then running back, I, you know, you don't fully know how it looked, and I I felt like oh, that, I think that was pretty good, but <laughs> you know, I I don't know how good the form looked. I mean, I'm I'm uh, just trotting around here, haven't played a competitive game in like a year, so uh, maybe maybe that was good. I hope so. Um, and then yeah, once I saw the replay, I was like oh, that actually <laughs> turned out better than I I would have thought. It's just crazy to think that, you know, just like uh, a D1 player playing in this charity match and you get an assist from Henri, who's the, the GOAT, the, the, my personal favorite player of all time. Uh, and and you get it past Julio Cesar was probably like at one point, like the best oh, yeah. keeper in the world. And then the first person to hug you is Maluda, a French internationalist player in a World Cup final. I mean, that's just kind of crazy how it's, you yeah. think about it. Yeah, I, uh, it's nuts, and it, you know it didn't fully soak until afterward. And then, yeah, I was even Henri was was really nice and was was talking to me after and some during the game. And he's like, "Man, that might be on Sports Center top plays." And I was like, "Oh, that's so cool! Can't believe uh, you thought that." And uh, yeah, I'm sure it helped. It was actually across from him, so it gave me some uh, legitimacy. But uh, yeah, it was it was pretty neat in the moment, and uh, it's it's nice to reflect on it sometimes. So how lucky I was to be in that game. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to score a, a good goal at the right time. That's awesome. And I guess sort of closing on this and sort of looking at sort of what had, what happened next or what was about to unfold. Can you give us a bit more insight on sort of not necessarily the, the, the names of the teams, but sort of what happened, how soon after, how, how soon did things start to escalate in terms of attention towards you? And maybe you looking at sort of your, newly formed career in business and sort of seeing now, hold on, I might have a second chance here. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of, even during the game or after immediately after the game, I was like, Oh, that was really cool. But I didn't really expect anything to come. 
my one hit wonder but i had a pretty good college career and i had been to the mls combine so it wasn't like coming out of completely and so then it took you know i was i was talking to a few um lower division teams but then the new york red bulls reached out and said that they would have me in for a trial um in i think it was august so you know i had a bit of time to get back into shape and to play um but i was still like working so it's kind of a bizarre you know scenario where i'm like i have this job that uh it's a tough job to get and that i like and like i can't just like quit on a a whim uh you know of this potential tryout but at the same time i want to make the most of it so they were very accommodating and i would i would still work but then i would be able to get off and you know, train a couple hours a day. So I was getting back into the swing of things. And then, um, yeah, and then eventually I went to uh, the New York Red Bulls to train with them and was there for, I think, three or four weeks. So I just took a, a brief leave of absence from work um, and was training with them in, in New Jersey, wherever their training center is, and then played in three or four reserve games. So it was a really cool experience. I kind of got there. And about the first week, I, it was pretty clear. I'm like, uh, I don't know if I'm good enough to make this team because they had Henri as a forward. They had Tim Cahill as a forward. They had Bradley Wright Phillips, the like reigning MVP. They also had a bunch of good young forwards who, you know, although this had happened pretty close to you know me being out of college, I was still 25. A lot of the players like on the fringe of making the, uh, the first team were like, 19 or 20 right um you know with some upside associated with them i was like man like i think i'm playing decent but uh i didn't score in the reserve games and you know i had some decent plays but it was just kind of becoming clear i was like uh maybe this was too soon for me to go to this level and try and like compete against all these top pros and so at the end of the trial which was like a month they said uh oh, we appreciate you we'll, like we'll continue to look at you but right now we're basically nicely saying they didn't want to sign me yeah and so then i was like oh what do i do now and so then i went back to work for about a week and i was kind of like accepting like oh that was pretty sweet at least i got a chance to train with the mls team and play in some of their reserve games and then a, a team from iceland reached out and said uh, they had some connection to the red bulls or something and they said hey we heard you were getting some time there like we need a striker pretty immediately um can you come over for a trial? And so I um, was kind of like, uh, I just went through this. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm good enough and just keep, I guess for the rest of my life, I could keep doing these two week trials and just never get signed, but it's kind of cool. Um, so ultimately what I decided to do, I waited for my vacation days to re up for my work and went in January, which is a very cold time in Iceland, but uh, they were having a friendly and some training sessions indoors um like in an indoor facility yeah so i played in those games with the club which is called thruster reykjavik so it's uh reykjavik's like the main city in iceland yeah and so i uh i played there and uh played in my first exhibition game and played pretty well and scored a goal and we we ended up beating a team that was um you know one of the top teams in iceland and so i kind of drew some eyeballs and then right the you know the day after the club offered me a contract um, so I was, I was pretty thrilled that, oh, actually this one had worked out. Um, but then kind of the realization set in, okay, if I accept, I need to, uh, quit my job and then move to Iceland. Um, so I thought about it for a bit and kind of decided I'll never have this opportunity to, to try this again. So ended up putting in, uh, you know, at work, took a extended leave of absence, which is basically like a nice way of saying, you know, Hopefully there's more opportunities when I get done playing, but for now you, you don't have to pay me anymore um, with my, my company, GE. And then, uh, yeah, I had uh, moved over to, to Reykjavik to play, play in the Iceland League. Just curious, because I know a lot of college players leave early to either join the league or uh, sort of take that risk. Was the fact that you had a degree of a, a pretty significant factor in all this in the sense that you had something to fall back on? Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, I think 
I mean, if you're going to work for, you know, 40 years in your life or whatever it is, you know, from age 20 to 60 or 22 to 62, however you want to do the math, um, you know, I think a year or two of trying something new, it kind of seemed like a calculated risk that I could take, Um, you know, just in case something didn't happen, I could always fall back on the fact I actually had some work experience, which was, I would say is unique for like a professional player. And then also, you know, I, I was, I wasn't going to have this opportunity again um, to, to go and try and play. Um, so I just thought kind of made perfect sense at the time where, you know, I'll, I'll figure something out and, and now's the time to take a risk if I'm ever going to do it. That's crazy. And so moving to how, so how soon did you, uh, Again, I, w- I wasn't uh, exactly clear in the, in the in the film, but how soon after signing uh, did you, I guess, move go back to Chicago and then come back to Iceland? I guess on a one way flight. Yeah, so there was like a month or two in between. Uh, so the Icelandic season starts like the preseason starts at like the end of March, beginning of April. Okay. So, and I had done my trial in January, so I guess I had a couple months to go back continue to play get in shape uh make sure i was ready for a full season because at this point i hadn't played a full season in two and a half three years and so i was kind of like making sure i was prepared for that uh needed to you know close off uh find someone to to sublet my room in chicago and then you know kind of close off things with my company and make sure they knew i was happy with my job but i you know i just needed to take this opportunity and try to not burn too many bridges by just kind of, you know, working someplace for a year and then leaving. Right. Um, and, you know, who knows if this soccer thing is going to work out. So I want to make sure I, you know, kind of close all the loops off there. But then, uh, yeah, in late March, I uh, got the one-way ticket over to, to Reykjavik and uh, started doing preseason with the, with the team. What was the well? I mean, what was like the first thing you did? Did you? I mean, I'm 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 sure the club sort of helped you sort of settle in, but uh, was it? Were you living with uh, a, a, any sort of teammates, or how how did how was how was it to sort of settle in a place you've never even thought of traveling to, let alone living there? Yeah, yeah. So I on the flight over, I literally didn't know where I was staying, and then I didn't realize they they didn't either. And so they were, they set me up in a hotel for like a week. And so I was just living in a hotel and I think they were kind of figuring out the best options. And they had some, um, you know, like apartments where they'd normally set up players. Um, But yeah, one of the, one of the club's biggest fans who also had had some success, he had like an apartment in Reykjavik and was able to, uh, to let me use it. So it kind of worked out perfectly where, I had a great apartment there. It was right on the water, uh, walking distance to the training ground and the stadium. And um, it was a really nice setup. And so once once I, after staying a week in the hotel, I was able to, to live there. And it was kind of walking distance of the city. And I didn't realize how lucky I was until I traveled around to all the other clubs where some of these clubs in Iceland, there is there's nothing to do with it's beautiful. Like over there, you got the mountains and the glaciers and everything, but you know, some of these towns, it's like a, you know, 20,000 person town. That's four hours from, you know, any signs of civilization. Um, so I was lucky to be in like the main city in Iceland close to my training ground and with, with some stuff to do around, uh, around my apartment. So yeah, going back to that, uh, what was sort of like when you officially joined the team, and you were getting ready for the uh, start of the season there. What was sort of like your daily process? Like first thing you would do, you get up, and what would be sort of your routine uh, for that for like a regular day in Iceland? Yeah, it's a good question because yeah, it was definitely a lot of free time, which I was not anticipating. I was coming from the world of finance, where you know if I could get ten quiet minutes to myself, I was thrilled. Um, you're kind of rushing everywhere. You have a ton of work to do now. I mean, essentially I was working, you know, two and a half hours a day. And then I was also in a country where I didn't know anyone. And I was actually the only 
foreign player they had signed. So, you know, the other 17 people on the team were Icelandic. Um, and I was the one foreigner, which, you know, all the players on the team were really nice. But, you know, you're naturally just going to kind of stick with your, your people who you've known and grown up with in the academy and everything. Um, so, yeah, I would typically wake up. I'd sleep in, get some breakfast, maybe go like since i was so close to the facility i would normally go in the morning and get like a lift in um, do something physical um, come back um, rest up maybe watch a netflix show and then we would train from like you know four or five to seven and then i would do a bunch of uh you know the rehab type stuff uh ice baths all that and then i would come back and it would be time for a late dinner and then i'd go to bed so it was kind of just like a lot of, um, I don't know, making sure my body was in the right shape because I hadn't done this in a while. Um, but also like a lot of downtime where you know, I'd go to the coffee shop and I, I'd do this or, um, you know, or I'd, you know, meet up with one of my teammates and talk for a bit. But yeah, it was a lot of free time, which was something I was not anticipating uh, kind of going into it. And did you feel like you were sort of, you had prepared enough and did you feel like, like was your body ever in shock or in any signs of sort of, I guess the same signs you had uh, that you were feeling with the Red Bulls. Did you get anything like that from your time in Iceland or do you felt pretty settled both mentally and physically? Yeah, I felt, um, I felt fine physically. Like I had trained a lot. And at that point, I think my body was back being in shape mentally. It was, a bit tough just because there was so much free time. What I ended up doing was I wrote for like a magazine. There was like a English speaking magazine there. And um, I had like a weekly column called an American in Reykjavik. And uh, I spent a lot of time like jotting down notes and I would write articles for them. Um, and it was kind of a, a nice way to like keep me consumed and give me something to do. And, um, also, I enjoyed, you know, writing about the different experiences, and it was a good way for me to keep in touch with everyone uh, back in the States. So I was kind of doing this low-key writing job, um, which from a mental standpoint helped me kind of take my mind off of soccer sometimes because, you know, when you just have one two-hour practice a day and you have a bad practice, that's, that's all you're thinking about the rest of the time because right. um, you don't, as, don't have as much to do. And, uh, yeah, the writing was kind of a nice, uh, break from from all the soccer stuff for sure so starting the season uh you said it was around march and just sort of walk us through sort of i think it was a couple games um that we'd seen in the film and then uh obviously top score and then the injury basically occurred there how many games in the season was that about uh yeah i want to say like eight or nine games in um, so not a huge, I mean, there's only 12 teams in, in the Iceland division. So you're playing 11 teams twice. So there's 22 total games plus cup games. So I would say it was like a, a third of the way into the season. And yeah, I got this really bad knee injury that I didn't know was bad at the time. Uh, went in for a tackle and my knee was just really awkward. And it, I played the rest of the game on it. And, uh, it was just so painful. I was kind of just like hobbling on one leg, but didn't want to come off and, it's probably a little stubborn where I could have just like, once I heard it clicked and it comes right, came right off, but play through it. It swelled up was just a constant issue for me the rest of the year and kind of was never really back to my best because through the first nine games, I think I had scored, I scored seven goals. So I was, I was playing pretty well and things were clicking with the team as well. We were in first place. And then, um, yeah, once that knee injury happened, kind of both, uh, both the team's performance and then also I wasn't playing as well because I, I didn't know I had a torn torn knee ligament. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a tough you – know, once that happened, it was it was both tough on the field and then also frustrating for me because you know, I didn't know it was a serious knee injury and I kept trying to play through it and my performance uh, suffered as a result. And I saw you had gone back to Chicago for, I guess, like some knee specialist or was that sort of – was that a permanent move back um, once your sort of knee injury sort of continued? So that was after the season. Okay. So like they thought something was wrong. Um, so I took 
three weeks off. So I didn't play for three weeks and then it still hurt a little bit, but I had seen doctors in Iceland and they, they didn't find anything. And so they were kind of just telling me, you got to just play through this. This is just a knock. And you know, I kept playing through it, but it wasn't getting any better. And then at the end of the season, I mean, I scored, I think three goals the rest of the year, um, you know, on the torn knee, but which I did not know was torn at the time. And then went back and, um, you know, actually saw a Northwestern alumni uh, who's a doctor, um, Adam Bennett, and uh, he was able to catch. I guess it was kind of hard to see um, in the MRI, but uh, my I had torn my meniscus, and that's what I had been playing on the whole year. Okay, so it was basically the end of the season. You had basically come back to just be with family, basically, as the season was over. Yep. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's actually kind of impressive how you still <laughs> were scoring <laughs> goals on on a on a torn meniscus. I think they were all like set piece headers where I'm just oh. standing in front of the goal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but um, yeah, it was it was tough to play with, and it you know also it was, it was just really hard because you know the season had started out so well, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. So figuring out my knee was injured was sort of relieving because I was like, oh okay, well I actually it wasn't wasn't as much of my fault as I thought it was. Um, but yeah, at the same time, it was, it was tough. Cause then I knew I'd have another, another long recovery. And I don't, I don't know how many years were on your contract, but I guess when you were in Chicago and you realized you had torn your meniscus, what, what was sort of, hap- I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you had to stay in Chicago for some rehab, which we saw, but w- were you, was there a second year on your contract or what was sort of your hope? What was your hope at that point? to recover and go back or you kind of had to stay? Yeah. So I had a second, so I signed a two year contract Okay. and uh, yeah. So the, the plan was, uh, you know, get, get healthy. And at the time you know, that I came back, it was probably November and uh, they're like, get healthy. And maybe I can even be ready for the start of the season in May, which was, you know, about six months away. And so, yeah, so I started rehab, um, doing that. And, and even after the first surgery, things just weren't getting better. And uh, it ended up, there were some complications, sort of unclear whether it was the fact that I had played on it for so long that it had really damaged it, uh, as well as if it had been fully cleaned up. A um, lot of uncertainty. And then it got to the point where it was, it was more painful after the, the first surgery when I was going through rehab. So I needed a, a second surgery. And then at that point, I was kind of like, uh-oh, all right. Well, I, I mean, I'm going to miss probably most of this season if I get back. Um, and then it became a question of, you know, whether I just kind of scrap that season, try and go back and start working normal again. Because, you know, Iceland, they, it pays pretty well for soccer. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's I was making more money in, in finance. And so it's like, do I want to sit around for a year and a half and just wait to see if my knee gets better? Because, you know, basically I would need to wait for the following season mm. or do I, you know, try and stick this out and just do rehab for a year. Um, and so, yeah, so it was kind of a tough decision where I was trying to figure out the best way to make progress. And eventually I got to the point where I, I didn't want to just sit around for a year and a half and wait for my knee to get better. Um, so eventually uh, you know, I declined going the second year back to Iceland and decided to just go back and, and look for a job. Did you, uh, uh, yeah, um, so when you made that decision, did you go back uh, to your old job that you had before uh, you went to your first year in Iceland, or did you have to go to a, you had to find a new one? So I actually ended up uh, getting a different job, um, which is still the current job that I'm in today, so it's like uh, four or five years ago. Um, but yeah, it was kind of, I was thinking of going back to my previous job, but I, I got a really cool opportunity, um, where I was going to be traveling a lot and it, it was kind of a neat job, um, in consulting and nice. it, it kind of struck my fancy a little more and yeah, it's still, still the job I, I do today. So I guess long story short, it, uh, it worked, everything worked out well. And you know, I was sad that I didn't get to go back and play and, you know, I guess in my head, I was thinking, hey, maybe I can, you know, work my way up from Iceland, play in some of the better Scandinavian leagues, and, you know, who knows, get to, you know, like a lower level in England or something. Um, 
and, you know, uh, about 10 games into the season in Iceland, I was getting some interest from teams in like Norway and Denmark. And so that, that was in the back of my mind. And I was like, uh, do I, do I go back and, and try? And so I actually took the consulting job because uh, it was the first project was just six months. So in my head, I was like, Oh, maybe, uh, you know, I can go back and play after this, but the consulting job ended up going well. And I, I just kind of decided to, to stick with it and, uh, you know, be content with my, my one season playing at Iceland. Yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I guess, so the more of like a reflective question was, um, how can I phrase this? How, and you kind of mentioned it just now, but I guess w- you were content after I sort of declining that second year is that something i guess going to iceland it was something you you want did you want it to do it for yourself or did you want it to did you feel like you have something to prove or i just at that moment you felt like it was right because ultimately I'm, I'm curious if after declining you felt content in going back into finance and sort of closing this chapter of your life even if it was just for one season yeah i definitely felt like i had proven that i could do it which was part of my whole I guess, plan or chip on my shoulder or whatever. I'd shown people I could score goals at a, at a professional level. And um, I think I, I still really wanted to play, but then I just thought in my head, I mean, it was tough even when things were going great where I was scoring goals because there was just so much downtime. And I just, it was, um, I don't know. I like to be busy and I like to be doing things. And it just, uh, it, it was difficult just having you know, only two hours a day where I was like being stimulated and, and playing soccer and just the thought, I guess, of going back and for a year and a half, like uh, the Icelandic team would have, would have paid me if I came back, but I would have been injured and I would have just been sitting there. Um, and I just felt like it was a better option for everyone. If I, you know, just, uh, you know, decided to go back and, you know, I would proven what I needed to prove and, now I could go back to the real world, kind of content that I uh, that I, I I played a season in in Europe. That's awesome. And I guess my last um, topic is actually the the film. How how did this come about? Because there was obviously footage from sort of all around. I'm I'm trying to put all these pieces together in my head chronologically. But how how did this whole thing come? Because there was footage from Iceland, and, and at that point, did you? know you were doing a documentary it's kind of one of those cases where you're filming everything and you're not exactly sure what the end result is but how did how did the whole thing start i guess is a good place to to start yeah sure so yeah after the game um the game where i played with messi the um uh greg latterman who who's a successful uh, entrepreneur who um, has ties to northwestern reached out and uh, he also has a couple friends who um, uh, Rennie and, and Jake, who are the director and producer of the film, who also went to Northwestern. So there's a lot of Northwestern ties, and uh, they thought it was a cool story and reached out to me about doing it uh, a little after the kick had happened, um, just following me around, seeing um, <clears throat> basically seeing what came of it. And uh, it was kind of a cool story, I guess, because they didn't know what was going to happen. So they followed me around a little bit after, and then I ended up, you know, going to Iceland. And so then they sent, uh, you know, a crew over there and they filmed a little bit while I was over there and still kind of not knowing what the story would be. Um, but it was kind of cool how, how, how it evolved. And, you know, ideally the story would have ended with me, you know, playing for Manchester United or something. But <laughs> I think just the fact that I, you know, I played the year there, they got to, to document it. Um, and then, you know, I had the tough knee injury and they also went through that. And I think, uh, it turned out to be a little more real uh, in the sense that, you know, they got to see the highs and the lows and then ultimately me, you know, going back into the real world. And so, um, I thought they did a, a good job, you know, trying to capture all the events while also, you know, accurately tell the story from, from the kick all the way through to me going back to, back to the real world. So. I thought they did a good job, but yeah, I didn't have too much involvement in the making of the film. I was just kind of there while they were filming and, and they were the ones who put together the story. 
That's interesting. As a side note, being a United fan, I think I would prefer you up top than a few of their forwards right now. <laughs> I'm honored. <laughs> just as a side note. I don't know which team you support, but that's just my opinion. I'm a Liverpool fan, so I'm uh, I'm uh, ready for next. Oh, so you're anxious, anxious, anxiously I'm waiting. Uh, I'm, yep, exactly. I, I'm an Arsenal fan, so I'm going to be rooting with you guys, so please win that game. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, then uh, you guys can you guys can make it into the Champions League, too. It's uh, perfect. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. So, uh, last thing, um, I know 50 minutes have flown by. Um the, the, you said one thing which really stuck to me, and I want to sort of close it out with kind of what you were saying ended up becoming the story as sort of this whole thing came to be. But um, you said you never know when opportunities are going to hit you in the chest, which is, uh, I'm, I don't know if the pun was intended. And there wasn't much said after that. Um, I think it kind of went to the closing sort of shots and then ultimately the credits. To you, what's the message or what's the story from this film and sort of what you went through? Obviously, the highs and the lows, but I guess from your perspective and what you've tried to, I don't know how involved you were, but what what is ultimately your, your message or your story given what you went through? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the message I would say is that you know, you really don't know when, when opportunity is going to come and, and you're going to have a chance to to make your dreams come true for the, the cliche. But, you know, I prepared my whole life, worked hard, was just kind of a, a solid, you know, player coming up in high school who walked on to Northwestern. Um, you know, I got a cool opportunity at Northwestern and was able to take advantage of it. And then, you know, who knows what's going to happen. As long as you work hard and kind of put yourself in a situation, I found myself, you know, four years later, um, you know, walking on Northwestern, you know, shortly graduated playing against Messi at Soldier Field. And, you know, you know, it was definitely lucky we were involved in the game, but I just felt like there was an opportunity to, to try and make something happen. And uh, I think uh, you prepare the best you can. You can't be, you know, perfect in when that opportunity is going to come, but you prepare the best you can. And I was fortunate enough to, to have the opportunity to come at just the right time. And I got some really cool opportunities out of it to, to be able to go to Iceland and play. Um, don't regret any of uh, any of my time there and, and all the stuff I was able to accomplish. And I think hopefully the, the message is, you know, even if you're just an average high school player who's a freshman or a sophomore, you know, I wasn't even playing on my varsity team at that point. Um, but I, I really loved soccer and I just kept playing. And uh, fortunately, you know, fast forward eight years and I'm I'm playing against Messi at Soldier Field. So uh, definitely lucky, but uh, do your best to take take advantage of the opportunities when they come. Couldn't have said it better. Matt, thank you so much. Um, I think this is a really interesting conversation and sort of I'm – I'm sure there are a lot of those sort of these sim- similar stories of people trying to make it, but I'm I'm really glad that this was documented and that we had the chance to speak with you. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, we'll Thank talk you. talk later. See you. Take care. Bye.